Welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Stripe Show podcast. I am Froggy from Elvis Duran of the Morning Show. And today we have got a guest that really is had really having a great year on the PGA Tour. Let me go, let, let me go over this real quick. 2014 FedEx Cup champion, six-time PGA Tour winner, the current race to Dubai points leader. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into the Stripe Show podcast. My buddy, my friend, a really super good guy, Billy Horschel. How you doing, bud? I'm good, Frog. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How about that? 2014 FedEx Cup champ, six-time winner. You're currently the race uh, points leader in the race to Dubai. I mean, this year, the, the, the two WGC events, you got a second and a, and a victory um, at the Dell match play. You're having a really phenomenal season this year. Yeah, it's, it's been a really good year. Um, I think over the last couple of years, I've had some – um, very consistent years. I haven't got to the winner's circle. I haven't turned some of those like uh, lower top 10 finishes and the top fives. Um, but it's been a lot of hard work. It's, I mean, it, it, it never changes me. I work hard uh, constantly, but um, you know, sometimes results take a little bit longer to, to come to fruition. Um, and this year it's sort of starting to, to be a little bit more consistent. That's, that's a big thing for me, I think, over the last couple of years. I've been really good in sense of playing well, finishing top 10, top 15s, uh, but I haven't had enough opportunities to win. haven't had enough opportunities to finish inside top five. Those are what the John Roms, the Justin Thomases, the Dustin Johnsons are doing. That's why they're top 10 in the world. And, and I know, I know I have that ability to do that, that my talent level may not be as great as theirs. Um, um, There's certain areas I may be better at than they are, but uh, I feel like I have that ability to be, um, a little bit more consistent on a daily basis and, and maybe push myself inside the top 10 of the world ranking and, and maybe one day challenge for hopefully a um, number one player award at one point. I mean, Billy, you've really come on strong this year and we, we've had our first major, the Masters, and now we've got the PGA Championship coming up in two weeks. And I mean, we've often heard, obviously, Tiger has always said that he tries to peak four times a year. Do you do that as well? Do you, do you try and be at your best those four tournaments? Um. I try to be, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's tough to peak and, and he's the greatest of golfers in, in my opinion. Um, I mean, him to peak, I mean, he could be on his B game and still beat everyone at the, at the majors and he has in his past. And when he has peak, you know, he wins by double digits and that's, you know, Pebble and the British Open and PGAs. And so um, I'm trying to play the best I can week in and week out. I'm hopefully my game sort of rounds in the form at um, the bigger events. Uh, so it's more or less just figuring out what needs to to need to be worked on to be able to play well. I mean, I've never played Kiowa, uh, but I know it's going to be on the water. I know it's going to be windy, and I know it's it's a challenging golf course. You're going to have to strike the ball well. Um, that's, that's a key. That's what you have to do really well in majors because the course is set up so tough. Um, so we're always trying to make sure we have control of the golf ball, um, eliminating one side of the golf course. Um, if, if we have that ability that I know I can't hit it left, that gives me a lot more confidence that any shot I have that week, I'm comfortable hitting it and knowing I'm eliminating this side of the golf course. Wow. That's great. So, you know, I know yesterday you went fishing, you had a, uh, you had your buddy Cam Smith. So it was team mullet and team Billy out on the, uh, out on the ocean yesterday. How did, how did you guys do? Did you catch anything? We didn't. Um, we went out with um, Cam and his girlfriend. We went out with um, his buddy Jack from Australia, who's been living here with him. 
and, and sort of as part of his team does some other stuff um, around them. And then uh, John Lamont, caddies for Adam Scott, uh, who lives here in the area. We went together with um, a local captain that Cam's befriended um, called uh, Leon, Captain Leon. And we went on Cam's boat that he's nicknamed Tin City. And um, we we had no luck at all. His girlfriend caught a little flounder. And then other than that, we uh, we got no bites except for one. Um, I had a redfish on and it spit the hook. And um, yeah, it was one of, just still one of those days where we went redfishing, tried to do some cobia out in the ocean for a little bit, and we came back in there, made port, and do some more redfishing right there along the north wall. Just one of those days when you catch anything, it's, it's, it's uh, sort of similar to golf. You can do everything right in and still not play very well. Right, exactly. You guys had a good time, though. Yes, we did, always. Well, you know, yesterday news uh, broke that they had, I, I guess so many times a year, and you could probably speak to this much more intelligently than I can. Uh, yesterday news came out that they had a players-only meeting yesterday uh, prior to the uh, Wells Fargo at Quell Hollow this week. And I guess they have a couple of these per year. They said there was one scheduled for Torrey Pines, and that one had gotten canceled because of the pandemic. So they held it yesterday, and it seems like one of the hot topics, which a lot of people are talking about, is the PGL. And uh, what exactly is it a viable league? Is it something you guys are concerned about? Is it something you would be interested in, Billy? Yeah, so we have a we have a once a year we have a, a players meeting, and you know, depending on you know what uh, is going on in the golf world, we've had it at Tory before, we've had it at Honda, we've had it here at Wells Fargo. Um, it just happened to be at Wells Fargo this year, um, and uh, I wasn't there, but I did hear some reports, and obviously the PGL has been talked about over the last couple of years, and it sort of dwindled away a little bit during the pandemic, and then. It's been brought back up again. Um, you know, it is enticing when they when you hear about the money that they're throwing out and the contracts that they're throwing out to certain players. I mean, yeah, you got to think about it. But at the end of the day, I mean, how long is this tour going to last? What's the foundation? Um, obviously, they've got Saudi money from what I've heard. You know, two years ago, SoftBank out of Asia was going to be part of it, and um, the Rain Group. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds great, and, and, and there's a lot of money that could be made. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, you could be playing this tour for two years, and then um, it could fold. Yeah, you make some money, but um, I think you, in my in my opinion, I think you may hurt yourself, your opinion. I don't think you hurt maybe respect among other golfers. I'm not sure. Um, that you, you have to come back to the PJ Tour, and then there's a situation there that I've heard that the PJ Tour is going to, um, well, I'm not sure if it's suspend or cancel people's membership to the PJ Tour. So, listen, I'll say this. The PJ Tour is a wonderful place to play. I have no desire to go play anywhere else. I think Jay Monahan, Andy Pazard, everyone at the PJ Tour, um, I've been very supportive of them. Uh, when Tim Fincham was there, I was very supportive of them as well. They've done unbelievably well for all PGA Tour players, just not the top guys. Um, if it wasn't for arguably Tiger Woods coming out and playing and taking golf to a level that's we're never going to see again, in the sense of jumping prize money and just exposure, that's that's we're not going to see that in game of golf. In the sense of the level that it jumped, but every tour player has benefited, um, and all I have to all they have to do is look at their bank account. So. I think this new partnership they have with the European Tour is going to be great for the for golf in general, for the global game. I think it's going to help the PGA Tour. I think it's going to help the European Tour. So for me, I have no 
I mean, I've not been contacted. Um, I, I wouldn't expect to be contacted. I'm not one of the, the top 10, 15 guys that uh, would bring in that, that exposure, that, uh, that um, you know, the lights that they're looking for. Um, I'd probably be in the, the level below or the level below that if, if they did come to me. So, like I said, I'm happy on the PJ Tour. FedEx has been an unbelievable sponsor of the PJ Tour. So many great sponsors that I just couldn't see leaving. I mean, there's so many great benefits from the PJ Tour that um, people won't know about that you may lose um, if you go to um, this PGL that they're, they're creating. So um, we'll see what happens. But like I said, for me, I'm happy on the PJ Tour. I'm happy playing the European Tour when I get a chance. And, uh, and I'm happy what I'm doing. Yeah, they said they made it very clear yesterday that if you were to go play in that event, you would lose your your card to the tour. And 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 I completely understand that. They don't they don't want somebody dabbling in and out, and, and then it becomes a situation of they're going to play me more, pay me more to play this week, so I'll go play over there. And it, I, I completely understand it. But I see as unless they're able to get some of the top 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 guys, the guys you were speaking of in the top 10, unless they're able to get them, I don't see them as a viable option. It's easier to go get guys that don't bring all the, the you know the camera and the lights and the, and the crowd and all that stuff. So unless they get the top guys, I see it as dead in the water before it's even gets before it even gets started. Yeah, you're exactly right. You need the Roy McIlroy's, you need the John Roms, you need Justin Thomas's, you need Dustin Johnson's. Uh, you know, if I'm a Justin Rose, maybe it makes sense. I'm sort of, you know, on the on the back nine of my tour career, and I want to make as much money as I can. Um, I think I saw something from what Webb said. You know, if you're a top guy, you've made plenty of money. You're 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 now playing for records. You're now playing for your legacy um, in the game of golf. Where do you stand? And I've never been one to see how much I make on a weekly basis. I've never looked at how much I made you know, on a, uh, after a tournament or if I would have made this putt, how much I would have made. Like, money comes. If I play well, the money's going to be there. I think guys who get caught up in playing for money um, sort of hurt themselves because then they don't – they focus on the wrong things. I'm more or less trying to play well, win tournaments, win big events because um, that's how you – for me, I'm trying to leave a legacy. I want to be the best golfer I can be. I want to be remembered for how well I played. No one's remembered for how much money they made in the game of golf or how much they, they remember for how many wins they have, how many majors they've won, you know, how many FedEx Cups they've won, how many WCs they've won. That's what they're remembered for there. Yes, they may look down, you know, down the list. They look at, oh, wow, Tiger Woods made $150 million on the PGA Tour. Okay, but they looked at the wins first. The money came second or third. So, um, like I said, if they, if they don't have the big guys. Um, this tour is not going to happen. Um, but like I said, you know, I could see if guys are at the end of their career and, and they don't care about they've done enough and they want to just see how much money they can make. Yeah, I could see some guys doing that. Yeah, you know, it's funny you said that. I was going to ask you, are are you aware ever when you're standing on a golf course, coming down 17, coming down 18, are you ever aware of, hey, I need to make this putt? to finish second to get, you know, to get into this money or that money. So that, that is not on your mind at any point. You know, it's, it's more or less, I want to make that putt to finish second. So I get more world ranking points. That's what it comes down to. Uh, that's, you know, I want to finish as high as I can. The money's there. The money's, you know, it's going to be there if you play well. But for me, it's like, how well, if I've got a putt to, to finish, um, no, perfect example, Sam Burns and I at Louisiana, um, 
we were walking down number 18, I think. We had just made a big part, number 17 on Sunday, in the alternate shot format. And I said, hey, if we can birdie this, um, it'll get us inside the top five. I know it guarantees us a top 10, but we may probably get a top five out of this. And then we made a birdie. I think we finished third or fourth um, uh, at Zurich. So obviously there was no there was no world ranking points in that event, but it was just one of those things that, hey, can I make that birdie when I need to make that birdie to, to improve my position um, at that moment, which then you can use further down the road when you get in that moment, hey, I need to make a birdie to win this event, or I need to make a birdie to, to um, get in a playoff. So you can use that experience and, and say, hey, I've accomplished this, I've done this, and sort of um, have that in your little uh, confidence bank that, that you need um, throughout the year. Do you do you scoreboard watch at all during an event? Like, like I, I understand if you're not high up on the leaderboard, you're probably not scoreboard watching unless you're watching to see where the cut line is and you're going to make the cut. But are you scoreboard watching coming down at the end, needing to know, hey, you know, where do I stand? Where is this guy stand? On what holes he on? You do that? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you know, there's no um, set standard for me of, of what I do. Early, usually first round, I try not to focus too much on the scoreboard. Um, it's easy to see guys shooting five, six, seven on the par of the first round. And you realize the majority of those guys don't go on the win or they wind up finishing 20th or 30th in the field. So it's more or less me trying to go out that first round, play my play the best first round I can. And then depending on how well I play sort of decides, you know, I'll probably take a peek after first round or before my second to see where I stand, to see what, you know, I think maybe the cut's going to be or if I'm up near the lead. Um, just to, to sort of set a, a mini goal that day. And then on the weekend, um, you know, sometimes I get in the zone and I, and I don't focus on the leaderboard. I may uh, look at it um, just to see where I stand. But the thing, I, I think if anyone says this, they're lying. If they can look at a scoreboard and they don't have a reaction, they're lying. Uh, and I'm not saying that in a, in a, a mean or, or, you know, disagreeing with them, but it's human nature that when you see something and you see where you are, you're going to have some type of a reaction, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you have a reaction to that, what you just saw. And so um, it may be massive. It may be big. There's times when I look at a leaderboard and, and I, and I'm not, you know, I'm one in the par and there's so many guys playing well, I feel bad about myself. Like, why am I not playing better? And then there's times, you know, where, um, you know, I see it and I'm near the cut and it sort of tightens me up a little bit. So sometimes you just got to, over the years, I've learned when I can look at it, when I can't. And um, it just allows me to be a little more free in the golf course. Yeah, I mean, I could see where, you know, on a, on a major, for example, at a major, if you have a later tee time, I could see you looking at the leaderboard to see, hey, is the course gettable today? How are the guys playing? Are they, are, are they going low? Is there a low round out there? Or is the course playing really tough? And does that determine your strategy for how you, you know, how you go about your round. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough because the early rounds are, you know, especially on the weekends, you're going to have guys shoot four or five under. Those guys are barely made the cut, so they need a good round to have a chance on the weekend, so maybe they're being a little more aggressive. The golf course usually is a little softer, a little slower in the morning, and as the later round goes, it gets firmer and faster. So you've got to be aware of that sometimes that, you know, seeing someone or seeing some guys go low, you get out and you think, hey, this course is gettable. And you get out to the golf course and you start trying to press a little bit. You're like, hey, wow, this golf course is really fast and firm right now. And you're trying to make these scores again. 
because um, what guys did early on, you're like, hey, this course is, is not gettable right now. So you have to be willing to adapt and, and change your strategy when you're out on the golf course, when, you know, especially on the weekends when you have a late tee time. But, you know, doing any round of course changes a lot um, from morning to afternoon rounds. Right. Getting back to the, you know, to the, to the PGL, but then yet moving on. In do you see the, the, the player impact program to be a direct result of the PGL kind of going like, Hey, let's let, you know, let's give somebody that maybe doesn't perform all the time on the golf course, an opportunity to still make some money by putting eyes on our game. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm on the pack. I've been on the pack for two years now and, uh, the, um, PIP, um, was brought to us in December, uh, to discuss and, and this is what the tour was thinking and the direction that they were going to go. And I mean, it's been talked about for a few years now, creating something like this, or at least rewarding the top guys, Tiger and some of the others for, um, more or less to me, I say, Hey, thank you for, you know, um, bringing more cameras, more eyeballs, more sponsors, more dollars to the game of golf. I mean, absolutely. You know, that's, that's massive without you guys. I mean, we wouldn't be playing for an average purse of seven and a half, eight million dollars. And then in, in about five years, we're playing for 10 plus million dollar purses. So, um, you know, there's a lot of players that, that have had an effect in that. Um, and it's been positive. And like I said, every true player has reaped the rewards of that. Um, is, is this program a little bit um, of an influence of the PGL? Sure, a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure the tour will come out and say that, but, you know, it is a little, I mean, it, like I said, this isn't, it's something been talked about for years and it got put into place now. Um, but it's just sort of saying, hey, thank you to the guys that are the drivers, that the, the needles. Obviously, Tiger is the, the, the actual the needle, the clock. He's everything involved. And there's other people who, who uh, their needles are a little bit smaller, but they still are bigger um, in the grand scheme of things and help, you know, draw a lot of eyeballs to this game. And it's just, you know, thanking those guys for, you know, supporting the PGA Tour, supporting our sponsors. Like I said, I mean, $40 million sounds a lot and it is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, what we bring in from a whole bunch of other sponsors and what is produced through TV contracts and everything, there's a lot of money still going to a lot of PGA Tour players. And then also there's a trickle-down effect going to the Corn Ferry Tour that um, I'm not sure if it's been announced or not, but their, their purses will be a million dollars here in the next year or two going forward. So they're going to get a trickle-down effect as well. So, yeah, $40 million is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, how much money are you going to be spent on their, in the entirety of the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour? And the money that these players can can um, um, attain by playing well, it's not that much, in my opinion. Right. Do you think that the player impact program will make some guys maybe do things a little differently? Do you think we'll see more activity on social media? I know we've. I know just last week, Taylor Gooch missed the cut at the uh, Valves Bar, and some guy said something to him, and he's like, hey, I'll come wherever you are. We'll play putt-putt for 50 Gs. You show me the money, I'll be there. Do you see some of this reaction, and do you think, will, will players be more willing to be maybe a little more active in w with their personal lives on social media and other things because of this? You may see some guys do that, but I think in the grand scheme of things, I think it's going to have a very um, small effect and improving their positions and the PIP. 
Um, at the end of the day, the guys that are in the player impact programs are the guys that play well on a regular basis that are on TV because of where they are in the world rankings, of what they've done in their career on PJ Tour or the European Tour. Um, those are the guys that, um, you know, are going to be in the top 10. Sure, there may not be a lot of shuffling around in that top 10. You may have a couple guys in the bottom half move and move out. And maybe those guys can improve their positions by uh, what they do in social media and maybe how they handle the media a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, the guys in that program are the guys that are the top players in the world and they play well, they win events, they win big events. And they, like I said, they, they're, they're part of that clock um, that Tiger is. He is the clock and the needle. They're just a smaller needle than Tiger. Speaking of Tiger, and I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. I know I know you guys are buddies. Um, what do you do? You think we'll see Tiger play again? Have you had any contact with him whatsoever? And do you know how he's doing other than the picture? I mean, once again, he posted a picture on social media. I think it was last week, week before last, and it went viral. Every time we get any view of what's going on, be it good recovery or or him playing well, it really drives it drives social media. It moves the needle and it puts eyes on our sport, which is what we're all trying to get anyways. Have you heard anything from Tiger at all? Do you know anything? Yeah, we, Tiger and I have texted back and forth a few times. Um, I haven't asked him about his injury. I just, you know, saying that we're thinking about you. Hopefully recovery's going well. Um, you know, I've talked to JT and Roy, who's been over to the, to the, his house. Talked to Noda Begay, who's, who um, talks to him on a little more regular basis. But for me, I don't know. Uh, when I saw the photo, I was... Um, I was shocked because I thought I was going to see what I saw from Alex Smith, that halo around his leg and everything. Absolutely. And so um, just to see him in a regular soft boot slash cast, um, I think was a very positive. Um, but I would hope, I would love for him to come back and play. Um, I think he's, he's unbelievable. I don't really talk to him a lot about his golf. Uh, when we talk uh, through, you know, the phone or even when I see him in person, a lot of it's about his kids. A lot of it's about what he's doing at home. Uh, you know, maybe we would talk a little bit about golf, but uh, I'm just happy to see that, you know, he's still here. He, he's getting better. He's recovering well. His kids still have a dad. And I think for him, he's more or less just wants to recover so he can be active with his kids. And, and um, whenever he does decide or if he does have the ability to come back and play golf, that would be great. That's a bonus for the game of golf. But Tiger would still be – massively involved in, in golf until the day um, that uh, he's no longer here because he's just he's just a powerful, impactful guy. And um, I, I think we're all very lucky that, you know, we're living in the generation of, of the Tiger Woods era. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, we're all, we've all watched greatness. You, you've had a front row seat, stood right next to it and watched it happen. And we really are lucky to be living uh, in this day and time and, and watching Tiger. I know that uh, on Thursday, tomorrow, Travis is going to have Dr. Brett McCabe uh, on, on the podcast. And I know Brett's on your team as well as on Sam Burns' team as well. And uh, what can you tell us about Dr. Brett and how exactly has he been beneficial to you playing golf? Yeah, so Brett and I have been working together um, since 2018, I believe. Um, so almost three years. Yeah, three years now. And um, maybe it's four. Um, but uh, he's been great. Uh, he's the first sports psychologist that has never used uh, a psychology term with me 
And I'm going like, dude, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Like, and he has to explain the definition. Um, you know, he's great because he can relate to what we feel as an athlete. He was a great Division One pitcher at LSU during the era when LSU was just dominating collegiate baseball. Um, he's worked in, you know, the psychology field in the medical, actually in hospitals and, and done that. And so he just got a great, um, well-rounded foundation, but uh, he's great in the sense of how he relates to every player a little bit differently and what they need. I don't need much. I don't, you know, he doesn't need to tell me how I need to hit a seven iron or what I need to be thinking when I hit a seven iron. Very rarely does it have to do with anything on the golf course and what I'm thinking over a shot or the nerves or anything. Like, I know how to handle that. I've, I've done all that. I, it's more or less, to me, I feel like there was a, uh, not a, I guess what my bigger thing is, is that there's times that I feel like I've worked really hard and I haven't seen the results, so I get hard on myself because the results aren't coming. And then there's times where I feel like I haven't worked hard enough, and so I feel like I need to work harder, which isn't always the case for me. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of beating myself up because I don't think I've done enough to be prepared to play when, when in actuality, I have. So uh, I think the best thing that I people ask me, like, what do you and Brett work on? He's just someone there that I call and he's out there and I can talk about what I'm thinking in my head about some stuff. Um, and he just sort of brings a sense of calm and peace to me and sort of just organizes it a little bit better. But like I said, the, the, he said the greatest compliment he's ever had is, is when I've told people, I honestly don't know what I work for. I don't, I don't know what Brett and I honestly talk about. Like, I know there's some stuff that I need to talk about and I wind up talking about them, talking about with them. And then after that conversation, like, I'm good. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing after that. Like what I'm, you know, it's just, it's just, he clears my mind of some, a lot of the, um, it's not doubts. It's just that I just have this work, you know, this work ethic, this mentality. That I feel like I just don't ever do enough to be prepared or I haven't done enough to be able to, um, to play well. And that's not always the case. That's never the case for me. Yeah, I mean, I know, listen, I was a fan of yours long before being a friend, and I know that you do tend to run a little hot sometimes on the golf course, and that's understandable. Uh, I have no issue with that. That means you care. Somebody who goes out, you know, if you go out there and you don't play well and you don't get upset, to me it means you don't care. But at the same time, I know that, would you agree that your victory at the WGC Dell match play, there was there were times where things weren't going so well, but you held it together, your composure, you got things back under control again, and you ended up winning. Would you, would you credit some of your work with Brett towards that victory? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think if the times I get upset and the times you see my emotion is when I'm in 30th spot and I'm frustrated because I know I'm playing well and I'm making really bad course management decisions or choosing the wrong shot. Um, it's not because I had a bad shot. I never get pissed off because I had a bad shot. I get pissed off because I either didn't commit to what I want to do on that golf shot or I made a wrong decision. Right. And I, and, and, and I knew I made the wrong decision and it turned out to, you know, after I hit the shot, turned in the wrong spot or it turned, it ended up in the wrong, the bad spot. Um, listen, I'm, I'm, I've always been fiery. That's who I am. I mean, people ask people like, Hey, you know, why do you act like this guy? Well, this guy doesn't have the fire. He, his fire is different than my fire. So I'm a very outward um, guy. But when I get in the heat of the moment, 
I'm very calm. I've always been calm um, in a sense of what the way I feel inside. Um, but uh, I, I don't really get upset when I'm in the heat of the moment. Like I'll kick myself in the butt, you know, just the way I say certain things to myself, um, just to, you know, get myself going. Um, but, you know, the outward emotion, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I've done some things in my career that I, I, I said that people I've seen that I've apologized for and I'm not proud of, but I feel like over the last few years, I've grown as a player, I've matured as a player. Um, and yeah, I'll still have some, some outward emotions, but um, I don't think it's anything as bad as what I've seen some other players do, oh. but I'm, you know, but they're younger than me. So they're learning the guys that have that fire that are similar to mine. Like I did that when I was their age, like I've right. never broken a golf club on the course that I actually tried to break. I've only broken clubs twice. <laughs> I, I tossed one down sort of at the ground just after a shot and it snapped in two. Um, that was like my second or third year on tour. And I was like, wow, that sucked. And then the other one I think I broke was at a, the WC maybe 18 or 19 in Memphis. I missed the putt on the eighth hole, my 17, and I did my normal putter flip. And I missed catching it, which is a very rare thing for me. And I was off the green. I was just about two paces off the green. And it hit just absolutely perfect on the ground. And the, the head in the shaft of the putter just sort of broke. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll slam a club in the bag. I'll hit my bag. You know, I'll slam a club on the ground. I see that as fire. I see that as a guy that cares. I mean, I, listen, I can think of two shots recently off the top of my head where things weren't going well, but yet you kept your composure together. Number one at the RBC. At the RBC, you hit it in the water, then you drop it in the drop zone, and you jarred it on the fly, absolute jarred it. And then number two, at the Masters, when you had the slide, the ball goes in the water, you go down the hill, you end up falling on your ass, and you get down there, you knock it on the green, and you save par. So I, I, I've seen Billy hold it together, yeah. but at the same time, I, I have no issue with a guy that gets upset because he cares like you just said, you don't you don't act that way when you're in first or second or third place and it's not going your way. You act that way when you know that you have put in the work and you know that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you're angry at yourself. You're not angry at the golf course. You're angry at your playing competitor. Yeah, I mean, I'm very respectful. I think if, if anyone who's been in my group or has watched me play on tour, I'm very supportive of my fellow tour pros. And I, very, I congratulate them on a regular basis. And I'm very respectful to them. Um, but, and I'm very respectful to the game of golf. Um, you know, I think if I played another sport and no one would even bat an eye at it. I mean, you've seen Tom Brady get upset at his coaches and yelling and screaming. You see him slam his head helmet into the benches and everything. You've seen baseball players when they strike out, they go and just destroy the dugouts. Um, you've seen it in, in all these sports that these guys are fiery and, and it shows they care and they're, you know, they're upset that they're not being able to compete at the level that they know that they're able to. So um, we just play golf that's a little bit different. And, I, you know, historically, you know, it's not, you know, you don't do that. You don't show that fire emotion because they, they think that's a disrespect to the game of golf. But I don't look at it that way. Um, like I said, I'm very respectful to the game of golf. I, I treat people the right way. Um, I treat my competitors especially the right way. Um, I love the fans out there. People, when they hear me say certain things to the fans, they don't understand it's tongue in cheek. You know, the, the TV doesn't pick up everything. And right. so it's, it's hold on, it's, hold on. I'm going to defend you for a second. I know you don't need to be defended, but I'm going to defend you. 
if you go to a golf tournament and you decide that while you're standing there on the side of the ropes that you are going to stand there holding your beer and you're going to have something to say to a guy who is playing for a purse of between eight and ten million dollars and he doesn't make a putt and you want to say something you deserve exactly what you get and there are some guys that will walk away and they won't say anything and that's okay but i can tell you right now my friend billy is not one of them do not heckle him because he's going to give it back to you and rightfully so and your majority of fans love it you know they don't expect a player to give it back and so they love the little tongue-in-cheek back and forth that i love it i mean sure there, there's times i've gotten on fans for for certain things and, 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 you know, rightfully so that, you know, they, they should be for certain things that they said, but majority of the time I'm, I'm really cool with it. It's just a tongue in cheek little thing between us. And, and if, if someone sees it as a different thing, then, you know, I can't change what their opinion of, of, of a situation or what they saw. So. Now, if you yell for Billy's ball to get in the water while it's in the air on a par three, be prepared that he's going to have yeah, something I'm to say. I'm probably going to say, you know, get the fuck out of here. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. Rightfully so. And you know what? I'm going to be over there on the side high-fiving you afterwards because like, there's no reason for that. You know, the thing that I love is, you know, it's, you know, obviously I'm a Gator. Everyone knows I'm a big Gator fan. So when I hear, like, go go, go, dogs or go another team, like, it's cool. It's funny when, like, they certain, certain uh, fans, like, you know, may say their team, like when they say go balls, I just sort of, I mean, I got the, the comeback. I'm like, really? You guys beaten us once in the last 15 years. You're going to say go balls to me. And so they're like, they, majority of guys, majority of time, if they have their buddies around, their buddies start, you know, laughing at them that they right. said that. And then sometimes those fans are like, you know what? You got me there. I can't come back with. And then there's times that, um, you know, got, fans will say something to me. I was playing with Sam, who's an LSU guy. Right. And there's a lot of LSU fans, which I hear talk, go Tigers a lot. Um, but we're walking off one tee, and uh, uh, a guy goes something like, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, you know what time it is? Or something like that. He says, uh, the Gators still suck, something along time. And, you know, the Gators still suck. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a comeback. And I'm like, wow, this is so good. Like, I honestly, I just messed up what he said to me. But I look at Sam, I'm like, dude that got me. Like I had nothing to come back with there. And so I was like, Hey buddy, touche. You got me all good to you. <laughs> That's hilarious. We actually, I do want to get into some Gator talk before I let you go, but I, I know that you were very outspoken and you, and, and you, once again, you're not afraid to speak your mind. Uh, arm lock putting. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? I know there's not a lot of people that are doing it. I feel like the, the, the most, the, the one we're seeing the most is Bryson, but, the, but there's other guys doing it as well. And, Kevin Kisner yesterday said he had given it a try. He is now going away from it. What is your take? I know Brad Faxon, also a putting guru, has has spoken out against it. Why do you feel so strongly against arm lock putting? Well, first, let me say that whenever I come out against something, I it's not I just out of the blue like I decide that I'm against it. Like there's there's a rhyme and reason. I, I have a very I think very deeply and look at all the scenarios and look at everything to before I say something that may be controversial. That's going to get a lot of uh, people talking about it. Um, second, there's been many times I've come out and said certain things that is controversial, but what a lot of people don't know, and I'm not saying this to, to make me feel better or anything, but I'm saying it because it happens a lot of the times I have come out how much how many players on the pga tour come up and say hey billy i agree with you what you said is right 
Um, you know, we support what you're saying. Um, and so it's funny because I'm like, hey, you know, we're, no problem. I'll take one for a team. I'll be the one who, who sort of stands up to the stage and, and says <laughs> what everyone else wants to say, but is afraid to say it. So um, listen, this arm lock's been around for a little while now, and I've thought hard and long about it and looked at it. The, one, the, the big thing about this arm lock is the one thing that I don't like is that when you take the way Bryson's putting, and it's nothing against Bryson. This is just looking at this, the, what he's created. Um, and you take one of those super short grips or one of those big grips the flat, you, the, yeah, the flat, flat front. front on it and you turn it to the side and that is parallel to the face. They've got that grip on the side now matching the face. And then you butt that up against your left arm and it's up there against firm. That face will never, that toe never changes. I mean, the heel... The face stays exactly square. So it's a great method. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that I haven't thought about it, but I putt very well. I putted very well my entire career. I'm a top 25 putter on the PJ Tour. I've been that for the last four or five years. Uh, and it's and a skill. So, it's a skill that you work on. Yeah, it's something I work on. The thing to me is that uh, I, I, just, I, I want the ability that – someone isn't finding a shortcut method without working on it. And Bryson has worked hard for it. But I've just seen that I think you should have more control of the club face. I've, I, I'd rather give the belly putter back to these players because I think there is more chances of, of the face moving too much. you got to control more of, of the putter head itself than in, that, in the way that the Bryson method and the way certain other guys are using that method. Um, now Webb and Wills Altoris, they do the arm lock and they don't have that putter. So that getting that putter set up there, um, is a little bit different and they've been successful. Um, but I just think that you look at anchoring, it is anchoring. It's not the anchoring that we're normally used to, but there's in the way that Bryson has it set up and some other guys, I think that face just doesn't move. So, I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's going to make you a better putter. It can help you. But it's the, the control of the face, just the control of the putter itself, just, uh, you know, is, is you don't have to have as much control of, of, of the face over the entire stroke. So, listen, it's controversial. I'm not, and yes, there do guys that go to, does it make them a better putter? No. But I'm just looking at if there's a skill, you got to work at it. It's like if, you know, to me, I, I, I compare it to, if you read greens really well, you know, there's guys that are just naturally good green readers and there's guys that aren't. And so the guys that are really good green readers, they have that advantage. But if you're not a good green reader, you can become a good green reader. You can work at it. You can get better at it. That's why I think the greens book, I'm not a big fan of the greens book because it sort of um, allows them to up their level. Now, are they ever as good as the guys that are naturally good green readers and have worked and increased their skill at that ability? No, but it helps them you know, quickly get up to our, a higher level right away. And so um, that's that's just my, my two cents on some stuff. And whether I'm right or wrong, it's my opinion. Right. I don't really care. Like, I'm not like when I'm out there, I'm like, God, I can't believe this guy's putting with, with sway, like right. such a cheating method or whatever. No, I'm not. I'm just looking at it by what the rules are and by is it, you know, giving them a – are they um, increasing their skill set at a faster rate than if they would put in a little bit more work or, or try some different methods or whatnot. I, like I said, it's, 
I, I said it because we it was a, the question was actually originally about a greens book, and we were talking about the greens book, and then I related that to the putting method, right. and so that's how the whole you know arm lock thing came about is because I was originally talking about the greens book. The question was a greens book, so. At the end of the day, I know some people aren't going to like what I said and some people are, but, you know, it's not my decision to decide. I'm going to go out there and play the best golf I can, and, and, and that's what I'm, I've done. And like I said, people are like, well, if, you like, if, if you're so against it then, and you think it's helped somebody, why don't you try it? Well, I haven't because I'm a really good putter. I like the way I putt. Right. That method right there is sort of what I like to feel. Um, is negated in the way I'd like to have the putter head swing and everything. So it's not for me, and I don't think it's going to make me a better putter. But it will make some other people better putters, um, maybe a little bit quicker or yeah. maybe it takes the gips out of there or whatnot. But like I said, the bigger thing is more or less that, that I, I just don't like is when you take that putter grip, you turn it to the side, you match that face, that face now it's parallel, and you butt that up against your left arm or your right arm, you, if you're left or righty, that face is never opening or closing. It's staying exactly square the entire stroke. So you don't have to control the face. Now you just got to control, you know, your path and the speed. Um, you it's know, one less thing to worry about. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, you're not on an island feeling this way. Uh, Brad Faxon, yeah. putting guru, has said the exact same thing. We're going to have Brad here on the Stripe Show podcast next week. So we'll talk to Brad. And I'm sure that he's probably going to have the exact same concerns and the same feelings that you have. But you, you know you're not on an island and feeling this way. I'm not the USGA. I'm just I'm right. not RNA. I I I so like I said it was the original question was asked about the Greens book, and then I related how what I thought about the skill level of Greens book and you know negating some people's skills and how um in sense of being natural green readers or they've worked to become great green readers. Now you give them guys who are really bad green readers. You give them a Greens reading book doesn't make them a great green reader, but it. Uh, you know, levels that playing field a little bit uh, more. So that's the way I've looked at it. And like I said, it's, I could care less at the end of the day. I mean, you know, I've beat, you know, I've won tournaments that Bryson's played in when he's putted that way and he's beat me when he's putted that way. So at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't really matter. Right. So we've got the Wells Fargo this week. I know you're not playing that one. And then next week, the Byron Nelson, but I believe it has moved golf courses. From when you won the Byron Nelson, correct? Yeah, it was at TPC Las Colinas. Um, funny, funny thing enough, it's it's always been, I guess, a course that PJ Tour pros have hated, and I actually didn't like it my first couple of years, so I didn't play it for a while. Right. And then I have I had to go play it because I wasn't in, I think, the U.S. Open and some other stuff. So I finally went back after like a five or six year break, and I won that year. So um, I think the. Now it was at Trinity Forest, which I wasn't a big fan of Trinity Forest, and I think it's going to TPC Cray Ranch uh, for a couple of years until the PGA of America opens up their courses up in Frisco, and it's going to move over there from what, I, from what I've heard or been told. Uh, I'm not playing this year. I'm taking another week off to get ready for, you know, the rest of the end of the year. And, uh, but Byron Nelson is such a great event. Uh, I miss having that TPC Las Cleanest for the fact that the crowds and support of that event coming down were um, fabulous. And, and if it was still at TPC Las Colinas, I would be playing it every year. Right. So you, and then the week after that is the PGA championship at, at, at Kiowa, correct? Yeah. Kiowa. Um, I've never been there. Um, my brother's lived in Charleston since the, the early nineties when older one has. And, and so um, I'm excited to get up there, check out the golf course. Uh, obviously it's an Oceanside golf course, which 
Um, it's going to be a lot of win. win yeah. um, I'm excited because I've heard it's, it's a really good golf course. And uh, I think it's better in May than it is in August for the fact that um, there's less chance of rain, less chance of those thunderstorms. We can still get them, but I think you can get a lot of wind in May that you may not get in August. So it's going to be a challenge. I, um, and, um, you know, we'll see what, uh, what's in store for my game that week. What are you and Todd working on right now as you get ready to prepare for the year's second major? Yeah, you know, I just started back hitting balls today. I'm going to work with him here. But what we've been working on for the majority of the year, for majority of the last couple of years, is, is trying to get loaded better into my right hip, have that right hip, that right leg be more stable. When that happens and there is an actual end to my golf swing, it doesn't continue to run off. And then when that happens, I start the upper body starts moving forward. And then there's really no separation between my upper half and my lower half. And I get too much on top of the ball and my body's out ahead of everything. My arms are behind me, which gets, um, causes a right miss. So I have to flip it and, and use my hands to square the club up. So we're just trying to get um, a little bit better in my right hip, a little bit better load. Um, swing should feel a little bit shorter than me. And then from there, I can get to create my separation a little bit more, which uh, in turn create a little bit more speed, a little bit more power. And then I can deliver the club a little bit more from the inside and, and control the face a little bit more. Um, I like to feel that uh, I like to feel like I hit a somewhat of a cut, um, but the ball doesn't cut really. I just like to feel like my right elbow sort of is always driving and staying, you know, underneath the left and inside the club head. So the face is always staying very square. And then I use the rotation of the body to, to square the face up. So um, some technical stuff there, but um, it's not as overly, it's not as challenging or as tough as, as it may sound for me. Right. It's right. not a lot to think about, but um, we're, we're getting there. We're seeing some stuff. We're still having to tweak some things and some feels and some setup to, to, to do that more consistently. But I think we've, we've been more um, successful at that over the last six, eight months. And that's why I've had some, some second place finishes, some wins or one win, hopefully more wins. And, and, I am where I am in the FedEx in the, in the race to Dubai. I know when we watched the Dell match play, we saw a lot of times when you would address the club, you kind of let your, your arm hang. And you, you, What exactly are you doing there? I had many people ask, and, and I don't know what the real answer is. I thought, here's, I'm gonna, now I'm going to tell you what I told people because, of course, people ask me because they know that I know you. I said, to me, it looked as if you were trying to get relaxed and get your arm in a natural hanging position. Is that correct or is that complete BS? No, no, that's that's very close. That's that's not far off at all. Okay. Uh, my tendency is being dominant right side. I like my right side. My right side likes to get high. My hips, my all my right side likes to get high and on top. So then, what that causes is me to be more open and everything's high. So I never really load. And then if I'm trying to get to feel like I'm coming from the inside, I've got to sort of drop back underneath the 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 to get that feel. And so. Um, as I told you, my routine changes in the sense of what I'm feeling that week and how I'm trying to get in my setup. But the routine, once I get that feel and once I start looking at my shot, that routine's always been the same throughout my career. What I do before that is just what the feel of that feel I had this week. So I'm just trying to feel like my, um, that week I was trying to feel like my right shoulder, you know, I dropped my right foot back a little bit, trying to feel like everything was a little more closed as I gripped the club maintain that feel and then so when i was into the ball i felt more closed with everything which in turn which actually was square 
but it felt close to me, which just allowed me to make a better backswing and better, um, which then allowed me to hit the ball a little bit more consistent in, in the shot that I was looking for. So, um, yeah, I can do some weird stuff and some weird little things, and um, but uh, I'm hopefully or I'm, I'm getting to the point where now it's becoming a little bit more routine. I'm not having to, to fiddle with it too much because I, I hate that when I'm ready to hit the shot, I can't get into the feel and get into the setup I want. And so then I sort of lose track of, of what I was trying to do or, um, or what my thought process was of the shot. So try and do that a little bit better, try and get that a little bit quicker, have that feel, maintain that feel so I can get into the shot and hit it because I don't like taking too long. Too long usually winds up to me forgetting what I was supposed to do or me thinking too much about the golf shot. Yeah, and feel versus real is always different. What you feel you're doing versus what you're really doing are, are extremely different. Exactly. Uh, Billy, also, I wanted to say thank you as a as a resident of Northeast Florida. I know that you do a lot for charitable organizations around this area, and and I know that it it it, it gets its. I'll say it gets its. I won't say fair share because I don't know that there ever is a really a fair share for somebody who does a lot for other people. Uh, it gets its share of coverage, but I wanted to give you a chance to. Uh, explain kind of something cool that you did when uh, when we kind of knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the first pick of the Jaguars. You reached out to him on social media because there had been a GoFundMe account set up and there was some extra money that he had said he would donate. But yet you reached out and kind of spearheaded an effort for feeding Northeast Florida, which I know is very near and dear to you and Brittany. Um, explain exactly what you did and, and, and how much money you've raised for feeding Northeast Florida with our brand new quarterback for the Jags. Yeah. So came home Sunday night from RBC Hilton Head and, uh, I was just reading, catching up on some today's that day's news in ESPN. I saw Travis Lawrence was going to donate $20,000 to charities in the Jacksonville area. Um, there was a, a fan that started to go phone me account to help buy Trevor and his wife a uh, wedding gift off the registry. And, and so they had some money left over and, and Trevor felt um, there was some gratitude there. So he wanted to get back to the community as well. And so I, I literally just went on Instagram and said, hey, Trevor, I saw um, that you um, are going to donate to charities in, uh, in the Florida area or Jacksonville area. And, uh, you know, if you want a recommendation of a charity, I, I mentioned Feeding Monty's Floor, which my wife and I have been part of since 2014. Um, we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I should know the figure. I've been told it multiple times. I've seen it, but I think we're somewhere around half, half a mil to a mil of what we've given including the money that we've also raised so um you know it, it's quite a, a lot of money to them but still not enough to to achieve the goal of making people in our community more food secure so i just reached them out to him i said anything you donate or i said hey let's reach uh if you want to donate donate feed northeast florida actually i was talking to andy Pazza the next morning about some stuff and so i told we were talking about he brought up that $20,000 and I told him what I did. And he said, well, what you should have done is said anything that donates to Feed Northeast Florida, you should match. And so then I went back on Instagram, said, hey, good friend of mine told me, you know, I should match whatever you donate. And I said, I will, whatever you match, I'll donate. And so he donated um, $10,000, I believe. And, and then they split up the $11,000 uh, and change that they had left in that GoFundMe account over three charities. Um, one of them was K9 for Warriors, and I cannot remember the other one. Um, and then so, and then Revolution Cooking, I think it is, 
the toaster that the Jacksonville uh, fans bought him yeah. <laughs> donated five thousand dollars to be Northeast Florida. So that total came out to be eighteen. And obviously, I said I'll donate whatever Trevor Trevor did. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to shortchange this deal. Um, I'm going to donate the exact amount that you know they're all donating. So I we wound up donating eighteen thousand dollars, or I matched that. So we. I think just around $37, $37,000 in feeding Northeast Florida. Awesome. And overall, I think $54,000 or $56,000 went to feed Northeast Florida, K9 Fours, and, and I, I'm drawing the blank on the third one in the Jacksonville area. So it's really cool um, that he's, he did that and that he picked feed Northeast Florida because that's going to go a long way. And so it's exciting that, uh, you know, he's already taken involvement in this community even before he was drafted, which we all knew. He was going to be drafted by Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the draft, and you had said earlier you're a Gator, and, and I'm also a huge Gator fan as well. I'm kind of torn in the draft. I was hoping to get Kadarius Tony, but we didn't get Kadarius Tony. Uh, I am obviously a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, so I am happy to have Kyle Trask learn behind Tom Brady. I think that's a great move for Kyle. I know that he he's a he's a great quarterback, and being able to learn from the greatest is, is never a bad thing. To learn how he prepares and whatnot. But having a guard call Pitts twice a year in Atlanta is nothing that I'm looking forward to. But I think our Gators had a good draft, and I think we're looking forward to another good year. Yeah, Gators had a great draft. Uh, I think the football team, the college football team, is going to do really well. Dan's got a great team. Um, you know, I grew up around New England areas fans, and so I've always been a Patriot fan. But um, I've always been more fans of coaches, players, and uh, obviously Urban now coaching Jaguars. I've lived here for 11 years, 12 years now in Jacksonville area. I've pulled for Jaguars since I've been here, but now it's even more so with, with Urban there. And then I've gotten really, um, become really good friends with Arthur Blank up at the Atlanta Falcons owner. So I was pushing him to draft Kyle Pitts even at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And so he yeah, I appreciate me. that. Thanks a lot, Billy. Appreciate that. <laughs> he texted me uh, literally like five, 10 minutes before they were, you know, going to pick a, we're taking Kyle Pitts. He said, you're going to be excited who we take. And so, um, so yeah, it, it's really cool. I, like I said, uh, it's tough because, like I said, I was a Patriots fan. I still pull for them. But now it's the Falcons and Jaguars are the two teams I follow closely and pull hard for. And so, uh, so yeah, like I grew up a Bucks fan when John Gruden was there. I loved yep. John Gruden and their team. So, like I said, I my, my allegiance changes in the NFL, but college at straight Gators will be till the day I die. I Absolutely. And the, and the uh, entire staff and players, I think they're going to have a really good year. I think people are underestimating them for next yeah, year. Yeah, I do as well. Billy, I appreciate your time, man. Also, I want to thank you. I am uh, – I don't know if people here on the Stripe Show podcast know, but I'm a brain aneurysm survivor. Had a brain aneurysm in October. Billy, you and your family were amazing. Always have been. I appreciate that. Uh, but I'm – being lucky and, and being one of the survivors, 80% of people who have a brain aneurysm don't make it. Yeah. But to be one of the lucky ones, I want to do my part to do what I can to help for research and to help for early diagnosis. And I had my surgery done at the University of Florida. Dr. Ho there was amazing at Shands. And so I'm holding a golf tournament in November here locally. And uh, Billy, I appreciate you being a part of it. And we're going to do what we can to raise money for brain aneurysms. And so I think that, I think that it's, it, it says a lot when you can raise money to help other people because of something that you have witnessed in your own life and to, and to try to help. And so I would just want to personally thank you for being a part of that tournament. I look forward to it. And I appreciate your time today, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon, Billy.
Okay, see you, buddy. Thanks, man. See you, bye. The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and in anticipation, and this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There is no better place to get in in all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's Bet $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TRAVIS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 